back in a show that just has too many things to talk about not enough time and one thing we need to address is that for the past month i owe mr will durst an apology i think because well in my absence we were unable to really place his commentaries in their proper place in this program but we're going to make up for that right now by turning back to his comments made after the election which is in the opinion of america's foremost political comic Ten females who cost Mitt Romney the presidency. Hey guys, Wilders here to say, holy moly, thank God that's over. After what seemed like a couple of decades, Barack Obama managed to eke out a victory, or to be more precise, Mitt Romney found a way to lose. He actually found many ways, and each of them can be traced directly to women. Young women, old women, single women, married women, duchesses, and floozies. So here they are, ten women, each of whom represent one of the many factors that cost Mitt Romney the presidency. Newly elected U.S. Senator Elizabeth Warren from Massachusetts, where the former governor lost by 23 points, proving that the man arouses the passion of a broken garden rake. Michelle Bachman. Mitt had a draft on her right wing to win the primary battle, and when he tried to tack back to the center, looked like a man with the core values of a hollow chocolate Easter bunny with good hair. Secretary of State Hillary Clinton, who took foreign policy off the table, making the whole election about the economy, which kept getting better. Gall darn it. Sandra Fluke, who gave a face to the GOP's Paleolithic Bronze Age attitudes about females, which no man in the party could seemingly shut up about. Michelle Obama, who is just darn likable, as is her husband, in a stark contrast to Romney's obvious discomfort around members of the human species. Superstorm Sandy, for providing the opportunity for Chris Christie and Barack Obama to French kiss on Atlantic City's boardwalk, proving that bipartisanship is more than just a word. Ann Romney, who would have made a great first lady for Dwight D. Eisenhower. Candy Crowley, who stopped Romney's momentum in the second debate by speaking way above her pay grade. Don't you hate it when the help speaks out of turn? The Walmart moms, who never really understood the whole Cayman Islands bank account thing, marking him as not the poster child for the 1%, but the poster child for the .0001% of the 1%. And the final female responsible for Romney's loss, Rafalka, the 15-year-old mayor who wore the Romney silks in Olympic dressage. Seriously, man, dressage? For Radio Parallax, I'm Will Durst. All right, Mr. Dress will be back on next week's program with the top 10 comedic news stories of 2012, and we're looking forward to that one. We also want to congratulate KZFR for having the good sense to bring Mr. Durst back to Chico. About a week ago, uh, obligations prevented yours truly and Mr. McMillan from traveling north up to Chico 
to witness this, but uh, I'm sure that Will will be back. I'm sure KZFR will have more events, and we will see if we can't uh, do better in the future. And by the way, we've spoken to General Manager Rick Anderson as well as KDVS's General Manager Renner Burkle and hope that we can bring these two institutions together sometime uh, in the not-too-distant future by having some Davisites uh, make a field trip north up to the Pearl of Butte County, Chico, which is a label I just made up. It probably has to be rescinded in view of the fact that Manila has been called the Pearl of the Orient. And, well, in that case, I guess it's not a gem-quality pearl. But at any rate, we'll try and bring you developments, if we can, uh, prior to such an adventure between uh, these two great college towns and these two great community-based radio stations. This radio program is pleased to have a leg in both. All right, we had, we we're going to talk about some science and, 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 and medicine, and, and I guess we kind of didn't quite get done with that in our second segment. So I think rather than try and talk about this trip I was fortunate enough to take, or at least trying to cover the whole trip in one segment, uh, and a short one it would be, let me just talk about the first two places I went to, and we'll spread this out over the next several shows. How, how does that sound? Before doing that, I want to talk about just a couple of items that uh, I just think I I just want to talk about. This one in particular caught my attention from WebMD.com, which notes that visiting your doctor for an annual physical examination might actually have a negative impact on your health. That's according to a report from Danish researchers, which analyzed studies which involved 183,000 patients. They found that those who received regular checkups were no less likely to die of cancer heart disease than those who only saw the doctor when they had symptoms. Coincidentally, people who skipped their annual checkup were also no more likely than those who didn't end up in the hospital, become disabled, or miss work. Here's the part I like. Patients who saw the doctor regularly were more likely to be diagnosed with diseases and to take prescribed medication, but those added attentions didn't seem to actually improve their health. Oh, well, the truth is a lot of corporations in America, which used to advocate that uh, their personnel get these annual checkups, took a look at it and decided it was not proving to be cost effective and they've been largely discontinued. Now, believe me, I'm not suggesting that you cut down on your visits to the doctor, but rather to just agree that, um, you know, a regular checkup at the doctor is not, well, it's just not all it's cracked up to be. And I guess the punchline to that is, if you do have symptoms, well, don't ignore those, for God's sake. A couple more health items. I want, I want a quote from a, a piece in the San Francisco Chronicle, which I can't put my hand on because I misplaced it. I've got to go buy another Chronicle today. But there was an article by some quack about how we can boost our immune system, which then proceeds to have, you know, paragraph after paragraph that says nothing of the kind. You know, sadly, most of the health sections on various internet servers or publications, most of the stuff is kind of marginal, I hate to say. But I guess, you know, if it makes you feel better, that has a good effect on health. And of course, the opposite may be true. As noted in this piece from Discover Magazine, uh, in 2006, it was noted a patient enrolled in a clinical trial for depression. Patient then tried to overdose on his meds. After taking 29 pills, he began to feel faint. His blood pressure plummeted, and doctors had to administer intravenous fluids to stabilize him. The odd part about this, he was taking placebo. And <laughs> once he was informed the pills were inert, 
his symptoms vanished. Magazine notes this was an extreme case, but the so-called nocebo effect, psychosomatic symptoms erroneously blamed on medication, is a common occurrence. And that's for sure. And we've immediately bring Tom Knudsen from the Sacramento Bee on this program to talk about some good work he's been doing about a renegade federal agency, the Wildlife Services Program, which seems to be raging out of control. There's a piece in the December 9th Sacramento Bee from Mr. Knudsen about how two U.S. congressmen are again calling for a probe of this little-known federal agency, Wildlife Services, citing photos of animal abuse posted on the Internet by an agency employee. The photos show two dogs attacking a coyote in a leg hold trap. And Wyoming-based agency trapper Jamie Olson posing with the tattered carcass of a coyote. This group needs to get looked into. Tom Knudsen had written previously about uh, some local disturbing episodes involving this agency, and we're going to see if we can't talk more about that in the future. But let's, um, let's close today's show and talk about uh, travel. There was an eclipse of the sun. On the 14th of November, well, the 13th of November on this side of the international dateline, the 14th of November on the western side, which is where Australia is, which is where the good viewing was and where yours truly was. It was a good one, and I expect to have a couple photographs online uh, within the next week or so of that event. But I will defer talking about Australia to next week's program and instead talk about the two places I dropped in on before I got to a land down under. The two countries were Fiji and Vanuatu. Now, you've probably heard of Fiji. (laughs) So let's start with it. Fiji is an island republic with something like 360 islands, but most are small. The largest of the group, Viti Levu, is about the size of the big island of Hawaii. Its original population was Melanesian, with a few Polynesians thrown in. But currently, the population is about half Indian. Apparently, when the British set up plantations uh, in in Fiji, I guess in the 19th century or so, and and, uh, pitched to the Melanesians, here's the idea, guys. Instead of, like, catching fish and eating coconuts and growing yams and generally having a good time... We have an idea. We're going to put some plants in here. You're going to do backbreaking labor from dawn till dusk, after which we'll pay you and you can buy tinned beef from Britain. What do you think? And after the tepid response this offer received, the British said, oh, to hell with it. We're just going to bring a bunch of poor Indians over to work these plantations, which they did in great numbers. Now, the Indian population that was brought over did have quite a few skills to offer, at this point, when you visit Fiji, as I did, you'll find that a lot of the businesses, taxi cabs, etc., are operated by people of Indian ancestry. But to the contrary, pretty much everyone working in my hotel was Melanesian. And by the way, everybody seemed to be getting along pretty well. Although about 20 years ago, when I originally intended to visit Fiji, a colonel in the army had a rebellion and overthrew the government. He was Melanesian and decided that the Indians had too much power in the government. The laws in effect in Fiji uh, require that uh, anything that's owned is owned by someone who's of native ancestry, i.e. Melanesian, not the Indians. The Indians have to rent everything from those who were there before they got there. But, uh, you know, I don't want to talk about politics. It's a pretty tranquil place. Although by far the funniest moment of my visit came when I was out on a, uh, a tour boat that took us out to go diving on the reef and having a wonderful lunch and hanging out in a hammock under a palm tree. 
and catching fish on the boat and getting entertained by uh, songs and good food as we did the sail. I picked up the local paper, the Fiji Times or whatever it was, and on the back page of the sporting page, there was a picture of a man named Robuka who was being critical of something to do with the soccer league, stirring up some sort of trouble. I took a look at the picture and asked the guy driving the boat, is this the Colonel Robuka that overthrew the government back in 88? He laughed and said, yes, it is. I said, he's still stirring up trouble. He laughed even harder and said, yes, he is. I enjoyed my three days there and would go back. But I think if I go back, I'm going to get off the big island and get out to one of the smaller islands which have better access to the reef. The reef that we dove on, by the way, didn't look in such good shape. There seemed to be damage in a lot of places from bleaching. This has been widely attributed to global warming. We'll be talking about reefs at greater length in future programs, as mentioned earlier. Now, if you look on the map, Fiji is way southwest of, of Hawaii and pretty respectably east of Australia, which was uh, the ultimate destination. There is an island chain between them, Vanuatu, and I thought, why not pop in? It's got the world's best kava. In fact, I, I mentioned this to the Fijians about uh, drinking kava, and I was going to go to Vanuatu, and they all went, oh, Vanuatu, that's, that's where the strong kava is. And you know, boy, a, a talk on kava kava, that, that's probably worth about five minutes right there, and we got one left. Clearly, this is going to be extended onto next week's program. What I will end with instead is uh, the transition between the two, getting from Fiji to Vanuatu, which I was set to do after three nights. On day two, I'd gotten a cab ride out to take a look at some uh, sand dunes near where I was staying, which were, which were okay. The, uh, the cab driver was a pretty, pretty cool guy. I took his card, called him back, and he drove me to the airport. We had a long rambling talk about philosophical things and different religions and the fact that uh, the largest Hindu temple in the Southern Hemisphere is in the town of Nandi on, in Fiji. That taxi ride was one of the things that makes uh, travel so much fun, but what followed after I tried to fly to Vanuatu was one of those things that makes travel, well, scary. We got word that a big front was moving across the Solomon Islands and Vanuatu, the Solomons being directly north of Vanuatu, and uh, by God, as we got near our destination, about two hours into the flight, we got into some questionable weather. We were a pretty good-sized plane, probably a 737 or so, but, you know, when the wings are going up and down so fast that you can perceive that you're making sudden, abrupt movements, well, those movements are just too damn sudden and abrupt. So we got near Port Vila on the island of Efate in uh, in Vanuatu. The pilot went into uh, some long circles as he was in a holding pattern. He just announced it would be a few minutes before we could get down. <clears throat> As we kept circling, I kept thinking, you know, dude, if this is questionable at all, let's do something else. Do not be a hero. We do not have to get down on the ground in, uh, in Port Vila at all costs. And sure as hell, after a few minutes, he came on the mic and said uh, the Qantas plane before us was not able to put down on the runway. The conditions were just too dicey, too windy, too rainy, too low of visibility. We were going back to Nandi. And although that was definitely going to mean a long travel delay and, you know, maybe even an overnight stay back in Fiji, I was relieved. And the truth is, if you're going to get stuck someplace for a night, you could do worse than Fiji. And sad to say, I have <laughs> no more time to talk about this or anything else. 
So let's end it here and uh, promise to uh, pick up where we left off on next week's program. This program was produced by Edward McMillan. You have been listening to Radio Parallax. I'm Douglas Everett. On next week's show, we're going to talk a little bit more about some medicine uh, and, and the germs that live on us, as well as uh, a look at uh, extraterrestrial life as it may be found on other planets, or at least a search for those other planets. It's going to be fun. We'll see you then.